Hello, welcome to Game Dev London. I'm Chris Payne and with me is Ed Bennett. Uh, we're going to be uh, chatting about the acquisition of Weta Digital uh, by Unity. Um, this is a really interesting uh, move. Um, I wanted to talk uh, to Ed about it because uh, it's pretty clear that Unity have done this to try to bring themselves closer into the, uh, the whole virtual production uh, industry, which is... Uh, clearly the future of filmmaking um and uh ed works in that field so um ed what are your thoughts on this uh, acquisition um yeah i, I agree i, I think it, it's, it's almost like a playing catch-up uh, for unity because uh over covid and over the last um, thing triggered by sort of the mandalorian um so much of like the filmmaking and sort of like TV industry and stuff like that is heading down the virtual production route. And uh, at the moment, everyone uses Unreal, which is which it's great for me as I'm vastly in bed with Unreal at the, uh, with Epic at the moment. But um, but uh, this seems to be seems to me to be usually playing catch up. They are mm -hmm. uh, so much of of the stuff that they've got here is. Um, it is aimed at uh, that sort of area of stuff and combined with that as well uh, there are so many actual films and stuff that are actually coming out like a lot of marvel stuff is coming out on uh using you through this through the studio using this technology that if you can integrate that heavily with your with your your tool then you're going to to be able to grab market share it's, it's it's kind of like the Wild West out there with TV. It's like people are training everyone up as fast as they can. They're trying to steal stuff from the, the gaming industry so you can get as many coders across. Uh, and everything is, is trying to adapt to these this virtual production, like real-time uh, sort of... They talk about it as, as dragging, doing post-production on the day. So everything is filmed in these great big LED walls and and it's all in real time which requires uh game engines because the mm -hmm. game industry has been building the tech for real time real time stuff for for uh, decades now and and just now everyone in in the film industry is is considering this for for everything so unity yeah, they predict it's going to be five or somebody. Everyone's predicting between five and ten billion pound industry a year. This is going to turn into so it's crazy and 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 unreal. We're lucky. I, mean, I don't. I don't know what to say. Lucky or smart, but um, they've been prepping for this for a while, especially with a bunch of the Unreal Five things. Yeah, and. Unity just paid a large sum to, to be contenders again, I think. How much did they pay? Was it? Um, uh, I think it was 1.6 billion. 1.6 billion, which I personally uh, think is a good I'm just purchase. I'm checking myself. <laughs> uh, oh, well, I'll, I'll check that while we chat. Um, but yeah, it's a substantial uh, sum of money, uh, and because I remember the figure vaguely, because it definitely has made Peter Jackson uh, a billionaire now. Um, right. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is uh, the way that it's uh, split. So um, I know that you've got a list of, of some of the the tools that Weta Digital um, uh, have created, which will now belong to Unity. Um, but uh, uh, just as, as a high level overview, um, what I thought was interesting is that the production studio, um, uh, the visual effects production studio, Weta FX, remains owned by Peter Jackson. Weta Digital is the team um, of 275 staff that produces the, the back end pipeline that drives what the creative team at Weta FX are making. So they're basically buying the, the back-end pipeline off of uh, uh, Weta. Now, uh, according to, to what I've read, this is something that um, Weta were considering commercialising their back-end pipeline anyway um, and farming that out. And by selling it to Unity is basically a, a 
cheaper, <laughs> well, a much much more um, affordable way of making it sort of uh, available to more people. Mm. So, did you want to have a quick um, uh, chat about the uh, the tools that um, Weta Digital uh, have created that um, Unity uh, now own? Because this is interesting, because these are visual effects tools. So these are designed to be offline so they're focused on quality over over speed unlike most visual uh, video game uh technologies yeah um so well, did you want to run us through those we can we can have a look through them i mean i suppose what the interesting thing is uh, i mean you mentioned that they are that they've already started to try and sell them but they had um or they do have a big deal with houdini um, um okay. i've forgotten the name side I forgot the name of the company, but um, they'd already kind of been working towards integrating all of their, a lot of these tools with Houdini uh, to come out the end, I think, of next year. And so, as you're saying here, yes, their their pipeline is isn't geared for real time, uh, and and that's the, the big difference because the challenge is. Uh, getting everything up on screen and getting it running at real time because the whole reason everything is moving over to game engines is is so that you can capture the the effects and the background and everything in camera so you can just you can just film from the camera and then the effects come up on the back wall and and you can't tell the difference and uh, i've seen some amazing stuff absolutely brilliant stuff especially with as the 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 LED walls get better, but that requires real time, and that's mm -hmm. that's where um, I think there are issues. Now, the way that Houdini does it is um, a lot of it is you you kind of kind of like light baking. You sort of bake out the effects and you, and you bake out models and stuff like that. So it's kind of using a host pipeline. But doing all the processing and, and making it something really, really optimized so that it fits mm -hmm. into a game engine. Yeah, my understanding is that um, because I, I'm aware that like Houdini is used in the games industry for things that would be too expensive to simulate in real time. Um, so, for example, if you have like uh, an exploding building. Um, that needs to collapse and um, with with monsters fighting over it and, and stuff like that. If it's a if it's part of a canned sequence that you are that is going on in the background of gameplay or your game the gameplay passes in and out of it, then you want all of the background expensive like falling debris and, and stuff to be um, pre-computed in Houdini mm. so all of the simulation is run offline and then it is um, output so that the the game engine can just take what Houdini delivers which is as you say a highly optimized um, data set of uh, these are where all the bricks should be right at on this particular frame um, and here's where like here's where the fluid surface should be splashing on this frame and literally just sort of like having almost like blend shapes for an entire like building and simulation um just just fed into the into the game engine so it completely el eliminates all of the um uh, simulation side of things and houdini is geared to good quality simulation and um tools for allowing artists to control that simulation and get the sort of result that they want yeah. so um Especially, yeah, as you mentioned, fluids. It does fluids better than I've seen yeah. anything do. Do, I mean, I mean, it's beautiful. The stuff that Houdini produces, but but it but it's spot on. It, it is. But this is where I do wonder um, how useful because I mean, uh, I mean, at what point? Well, as long as it works in real time on the back on a monitor, as long as you can get it, then then it, it, we're we're good to go. Um, we what's interesting is is that so. I mean, it, there may be lots of other different reasons why why this is used. I mean, the, the I think the interesting thing is is we've got um, we've got two different rendering engines here mm -hmm. now. 
uh, so we got uh, what is it men menka and gazebo uh yeah now my reading of that is that uh, manuka is the um high quality um render engine for for the final uh, for the final bake of of things um whereas uh, gazebo uh, is the the interactive renderer which is what they use for previewing stuff so it will be interesting to see if um whether unity can incorporate anything from gazebo into their pipeline and vice versa and uh, you would certainly hope that like the engineers from both of those would compare notes um because they will obviously have very slightly different use cases um but uh there's going to be a certain amount of, of cross-pollination um between like the um uh those technologies see my guess is yeah well i'm, I'm sure they can learn stuff from from each other with them but, but my guess is that they well, the thing is, is they've got kind of a package deal, haven't they? So they they, they mm. bought everything. So it's yeah. now there's going to be some bits they can use and some bits that they can't. My guess is their rendering pipeline, because it, it, it's baking stuff, is going to be so far off what Unity's rendering pipeline is at the moment. That yeah. For virtual production, I don't think it's going to be specifically useful. However, for... Um, because virtual production doesn't mean everything's going to be done in virtual production any, anymore. Mm -hmm. there'll, there'll still probably be, I mean, there'll still probably be many baked out forms and sort of, uh, and stuff. So there'll probably still be a whole load of that, but I doubt that either of those two are going to make much of a dent on how we see unity or how it is used. He, I don't yeah. think it's going to be like Nanite or, or sort of Lumen or any of the kind of, because the, they are built completely with that in mind, real yeah. time in mind. Well, that's something that I was going to, uh, I was going to come to actually, because um, obviously as well as the, the pipeline technologies, um, because also on this list um, are a bunch of, uh systems for simulating hair uh tissue trees uh gases and liquids all sorts of um stuff but as well where to have an asset library um which is very similar uh, makes immediately made me think of um unreal's acquisition of mega scans um yeah. now if you've if you played with mega scans i know you have um uh, i have a little bit they are huge assets um you can you know you can download a rock and it's half a gigabyte for a rock because it is photorealistic. It is incredibly detailed. Um, and it is, uh, it is production ready for a, for, for movie use rather yeah. than for, um, for games use. Now, the, the interesting thing that I find, uh, different between the, like the case of unreal and unity is that unreal have Lumen and Nanite, um, their technologies that allow them to render movie quality assets at runtime and light movie quality assets at runtime. Now, Unity's rendering technology is still more traditional uh, video game rendering process. Um, so I can't see how unity would be able to um use wetter's assets in their game engine in the same way that uh unreal can use mega scans because they're, they're built for for a completely different uh use case true but uh, but um the only thing i would say is i don't think unity are going to be far behind unreal Especially as yeah. Unreal is is open source, and uh, I I don't think they're hiding very much. So basically, as soon as uh, Unreal released like even beginning footage and stuff like that, I'm sure Unity was starting on their own. Uh, I'm sure they are. Just yeah, uh, and so 
I think this is going to be one of their most valuable accessions, the the the, the high quality content thing. Because mm. I mean, I mean, bear in mind, aren't we, we? You can't use them in Unreal yet. I mean, if you if you try and run run it without Nanite, these things are horribly performing. Oh yeah, uh, no, um, you have to use Nanite. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's crazy. But I mean, the version production that everyone's doing at the moment, we're still like spending ages optimizing all of the the, the meshes in the same way that you would a, a, a computer game so so none of this none of that is really i mean it's beautiful and it's and, it, and, and they, they look wonderful but none of that's particularly paying off for unreal yet especially as they really don't advise anybody to use ue5 for virtual production because it's it's just not it's it's um Especially if you've got a shoot, because the problem with shoots mm -hmm. for Unreal is um, it depends. If you're a really big studio, if you're an Amazon or something like that, then you can afford to waste time. But it's so expensive to be in, in a studio yeah. that you want something that you know is going to work when you go in. And uh, until they sign off UE5, uh, uh, until for production ready, the, nobody's going to risk walking into a studio and have to spend a day trying to fix fix problems with crashes when they're blowing like a oh, hundred thousand a day or something crazy. Uh, on it, it's, I mean, yeah. the amount of people that are involved is, uh, yeah, shocking to me. It's like that is things... a good point. That is a very good point because I, having had a play around with Unreal Five, I thought. Uh, immediately thought sort of like oh brilliant that 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 puts movie assets into a game engine and it's all runtime that's great but of course that's only the um the, the uh, alpha build and yeah as you say um that can't be what they're using on the mandalorian because uh that would be uh it, it's it must be too unstable surely um yeah i mean you you can throw crazy amounts of computers at this and you're still getting out like unless you've got an optimized scene, you're still getting out like I don't know, sort of twelve frames per second and stuff in a lot of cases. Optimization is so paramount at the moment, mm. but uh, Nanite really is a game changer. And the, uh, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how far behind, how smart it was of Unreal of Epic to to tell everybody a year before it was ready that they were doing that because i mean unity might well <laughs> release something before unreal <laughs> they might do but i think i think it's more the 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 unreal announcement was more about cementing unreal um in in everybody's heads as being the solution for movie quality um virtual uh studios so uh because certainly the, that <sighs> so i i think you've hit the nail on the head there i kind of feel like the purchase of weta digital mm. is unity trying to uncement Unreal, as, <laughs> as, the, uh, as you see what I mean. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to watch. Um, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. I think that Unity's tech team must be working on their answer to Nanite and Lumin. Um, you know, it, I, either they will, either they will be reverse engineering what Epic have done, or they will have had their own solution in the pipeline that they've been working on for for some time um but it's interesting that they've they've chosen to say nothing about it uh so although we can speculate that that they must be working on something because it's a clear hole in um in, in the in the pipeline that needs to be filled by uh, by something uh the fact that they haven't announced it yet uh, suggest either that they're going to do what you suggest um, Unreal could have done, which was wait until it is production ready and then release it. Um, I mean, part of the reason for releasing Unreal 5 into the wild may well have been to 
um, basically uh, gather uh, data mm. from a whole bunch of users, put it out in the wild and like gather data about crashes and performance and have that uh, automatically reported back to Unreal so that they can see how it handles in the wild um, and what people are doing with it. And, you know, because you can test it with your um, uh, like example uh, data to your heart's content, but it's not until people start putting all sorts of random stuff into it uh, mm. that you start to find all of the corner cases where somebody tries, I don't know, certain types of model that are not well suited for for the um, uh, for the technology, and you start to see performance issues with particular types of model or something. It's it's interesting. I mean, there actually seems to be problems in other parts of the pipeline, but mm. but in order to get that good data, I mean, they'll get great data from people testing it, and there are there are loads of people who don't care that it's a it, that it's not released yet. They just um, but what they need is they need people using it on big monitors on multiple different computers. They they need the setup that, that you have in a studio, because yeah. that's like. It's got something called multi-user, uh, and multi-user is um, great in concept, but has destroyed so many shows and and it's corrupted so many files and stuff like that. That it's um, it, it, and the problem is, I think is, it's very hard to test that because you can't. It's not like everyone else. You need you need people who are set up and people who are actually trying to push to do a show and yeah and and that's yeah not the environment that you want like we we do r d sessions where we'll go in and we'll we will learn stuff basically and we're very lucky that we can get stage time so we're very lucky we can get a setup with with a big screen and stuff like that yeah. but um that's what they need at this point that's that's cool. So I presume by multi-user you're referring to um, multiple uh, users being able to um, connect to a shared uh, Unreal scene and uh, and work in that scene uh, together. Yeah. So um, interestingly, that um, this is like a, a little bit of a, a digression, but Roblox's level editor has that support because Roblox's entire platform is built on everything being networked. Um, and so like even their editor is networked. So I'm able to join in the Roblox uh, studio <laughs> and uh, like access my daughter's uh, levels and help her building stuff uh, in, in Roblox. And it works remarkably well. So I can so... imagine, and that would also to a certain extent, solve a lot of the source control problems created by having like scenes being a monolithic entity that is too big for one person to to create on their own. Um, but it's still a monolithic entity and traditional source control uh, methods will only allow effectively one person to work on it at a, at a time. Um, because it's very hard to like merge that uh, that data together, if especially if you're both trying to touch the same elements of the scene. Yeah. So being able to like have a system that allows multiple users to edit different parts of the scene simultaneously would I can imagine I can see why it's so useful um, in a studio setting because you you need if you need to rejig the scene to reposition you know, parts of, uh, of the environment in order to get a better shot framing, then you can't have just like be sat there waiting for one person to do all of that rearranging stuff. You want one person to be sort of like moving the, moving the scenery and then somebody else working on moving the lights uh, yeah. and, and relighting it. And... Well, it's even worse than that because uh, at the moment, if you, depending on what workflow you'll be using, I haven't tried the end display, but um you will you won't be able to edit a project unless you're a multi-user mm -hmm. the project is is locked by the disguise system so if you want to make any changes you have to shut down the entire the entire wall bring it off 
make the changes and if you're using source control and you need to sync it and save everything then flush it back up which can be like a, a 10 minute job which you just for like moving a car a couple of instances to the left or something like that yeah. and um and then it doesn't look the same on your computer as it does on the screen so if it needs to be moved a little bit again to make sure it's on the screen it, it's it's maddening and there are a number of different solutions to that uh, and ways around it but the problem is is that all of them introduce their other problems and so you'll often end up going back to this so i was doing uh the shutterstock shoot i think and and it you had like i don't know about 30 or 40 people and they dragged the system down and they were like right program this thing in five minutes because we've got to have this back up <laughs> and it was and it's it's fun it's fun because as a coder you don't get that opportunity you don't get the the rush i mean unless you have crunch but it, but you don't get like 50 people watching you type in what is no relatively... i mean frankly that sounds like my worst nightmare <laughs> i think i think i mean it you get the thing is it's quite exciting to be doing at that speed and the other thing mm -hmm. is you are not you are you find yourself doing things that, that are very easy for you to do. You're not going to be doing complicated code. You're going to be doing incredibly straightforward stuff that's needed. And, you, and you'll be doing it at speed and then bringing it back up. And sometimes you'll be, you'll be a bit more like you won't, you won't be commenting or anything like that. But, but um, <laughs> it's it's like a, I, I think you would... I think if you're an experienced game developer, uh, coming into that environment suddenly allows your skill to be on show and for you to be quite an impressive person with an audience where where you would usually be sitting behind the scenes and programming and sort of setting stuff up. But it's like, yeah, I, I enjoyed that it. That sounds more cool. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> The thing is, is performing with an audience is is fun if you perform well. And because the code is very simple, I mean, if you're performing yeah. with an audience and you can't do it, and it's embarrassing and it's horrible, but it's like it's like sport. It's like yeah. great to if you win every match, it's fine. <laughs> it's like <laughs> so, um, but yeah. No, it's an interesting one. Yeah, but... I mean, it's it's a fascinating environment, and I, I'm um, I'd love to um, uh, have a go with that. I'd like I'm very interested in in sort of like um, coming up with an excuse to set up a, a virtual studio for something or other, um, uh, just uh, just to have a play around with the with the technology and um, uh, see what um, see how it it works. But um, so from your perspective, then, what advantages can you, because obviously this, this is clearly intended to give Unity a foothold in the visual effects space. Um, do you think that there will be much benefit coming back the other way for game developers um, to benefit uh, from this in the same way that um, game developers it it looks like we'll be able to benefit from mega scans um with unreal 5 uh once that is production ready um i think i think it's going to be well i mean there's definitely going to be some i mean they've got a whole crew of they've got a whole crew of fantastic people and a lot of the the stuff that they've got like face rigging and hair and stuff like that i mean as the tech gets better yeah, I think it'd be the problem is is I kind of feel like a lot of this is going to be very costly to run, uh, and they've or, already got a lot of solutions. They, they do, Unity does hair pretty well, doesn't it? As far as I uh, there's a there's a bunch of hair plugins. Um, uh, I don't know that. Um, well, this is the thing that like hair is uh, just like a really complicated thing to render, um, and so what we have in video games is we have a lot of different systems that are designed to um, approximate um, hair 
using using cards using um in some cases using sort of like individual hair simulation but then that that's too expensive to to use sort of like for every character in in a living city um so there's it'll be interesting i imagine that because wetter's tools wetter will have the same problem that video game developers do um of wanting to see what they're working on as quickly as possible so for example i mean the worst the worst example of that in in video games is uh, doing light bakes which is why lumen is so good in in unreal because you can adjust the lighting and you can see it immediately hmm. um setting all the lights up and then doing a light bake and then having to wait for an hour and a half before you can see the results of your work is a, a ridiculous waste of um time and and resources so you would think that even in the visual effects sphere wetter's pipeline will have uh, a whole bunch of um preview you know slightly simplified preview versions um of things and some of that may be adaptable to be used as a a runtime uh engine for video games possibly so, yeah um because games tend to sort of like shy away from live fluid dynamics because we we just know that it's prohibitively expensive and costly to do and we, which is why um you go to houdini you simulate it offline and then you, you can have quite an elaborate and complicated fluid simulation as long as it's pre-computed um wetter can't do that though wetter will need to um you know that they will well they can do that but the houdini will have to have like a simplified version of that um fluid simulation so that you can play around with it and see where the splashes are going to fly and see when a tidal wave hits a city you want to know that like we want the wave to come around this corner and down this street and it's got to look amazing um and, it, and we want it to like lift this bus and carry the bus around the corner and so on and you want it to be simulated so it looks real but you also want it to be controlled so that you can controlled drama and have the bus mm. slam into the camera um and so on so there is there's a certain uh level at which the visual effects industry do need to have kind of like live previews um that the games industry have just avoided because they you know we know it's too expensive so there may be some stuff that we can bring in from wetter's pipeline um into into a, like more of a video game space and have use a simulate you know a cut down fluid simulation thing uh from that pipeline as a live solution in a video game yeah I, I, very possibly I, it's I, the thing is, I know very little about the tools themselves, but I'm presuming they have something down those lines. But I mean, the other thing is, is bear in mind, I, I, I mean, the speed of the computers that these guys are working on, especially now that they're render cloud and cloud based, means that that um, they the expectation of of what will be a a, a workable sort of like display to them is still going to be an incredibly costly thing that you couldn't bolt into a computer game so uh, the, the, they're very far off is um i mean it's amazing houdini can do what it does is uh but um now i mean things are all moving to the cloud and the the the, the uh graphics cards are becoming uh, a lot better and cheaper if we can ever ever purchase them uh but um i don't know the way i look at this is i i kind of feel like the, i mean i really don't know but i i reckon if i had to guess i would say that maybe 20 percent of this might work its way into the high-end stuff for unity mm -hmm. um the, the render engine stuff like that isn't going to work its way into games at all i don't think uh and the and then the rest of it will probably start being connected to something like houdini which can 
who, which is going to figure out how to to pump out some kind of pre-baked something which can be dealt with in in a search engine. However, as time goes on, and when they when they come up with their with their nanite equivalent, then we'll all start. I mean, bear in mind, like nanite. I mean, a lot of the stuff that runs in nanite wouldn't be. I'm not. I'm not sure, but I, I don't think you're going to be able to use on like a switch and sort of like a number of the other sort of lower consoles. Having said that, everything's. I mean, all of, it, you can definitely use it in things like the PS5s and and so on. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you're right about. Um, uh... You're right about that. I mean, the main problem with the mega scans is just the sheer size uh, of the assets. Um, it, when it's like half a gigabyte per rock, that is not tenable for um, a um, like final deliverable. But um, I would guess that um, Epic will uh, build controls into Nanite for you to set what the like the topmost quality level is for a nanite asset uh so uh in the same way that you can um specify the the maximum texture resolution um uh for a target platform uh and uh have all of the textures sort of like crunched down to a smaller to one of the lower mitmap levels um uh mm -hmm. if you're building for mobile to just to reduce the size of the data it is interesting that is a challenge because the build data for nanite and stuff like that, as, as far as I know, is, is huge. So, mm. I mean, the, the jump in, in speed and technology is going to be great, but the jump in size of games is just going to be... That's, yeah, <laughs> now that's the interesting thing because, uh, yeah, it, it's... It's an awful lot of data, and I think it, it works well on PC. But yeah, you, you're going to see the consoles really like s struggling with that. I think because, um, especially because like limited storage um, uh, and so on. So it's going to be a case of um, I think that there will there will be like an uppermost de detail limit threshold set because n not many assets are going to need to have sort of like the full movie resolution. Um, mm. Uh, version because they're going to fly past in the background most of the time. Um, but yeah, it, it will be interesting to see if mega scans are practical to use in a in a game project. Um, I'd be interested to see when Unreal Five become is is finally like released as a production ready version. Um, there's going to be like people who've been working on the pre the, the alpha build um, to make scenes uh, and so on. I, I imagine pretty quickly a whole bunch of people will will release um, you know simple sort of like narrative exploration games that are just like packed with beautiful mega scans assets um, that that may be ridiculously large. Um, for the amount of gameplay um, uh, contained there. So it, it will be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah. Um, in the same way that we, we've see, we saw an awful lot of... Because VR was adopted by um, uh, academia before it was adopted by industry um, because it just wasn't... The technology was there, but the market wasn't. Um, in the first like few like years of of the th this latest wave of VR, so what you had was um, a lot of um, uh, researchers in academia um, experimenting with it, coming up with um, interesting ideas and uh, like some uh, and different uh, concepts for like ways to interact with things and ways to do locomotion um, in in VR and stuff like that trying to figure out solutions to, to the limitations um, of VR. Now, that's really valuable work, but it did result in certain um, toolkits that were um, released to help you do this 
were full of interesting and clever solutions, but they were in no way production ready um, uh, because they they were designed as kind of more thought experiments um, uh, by academics rather than um, built by uh, engineers who were trying to like make something that would ship and be reliable and robust when like millions of players are um, messing about with it and trying to break it. <laughs> Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that uh, the it'll be interesting to see when when Unreal goes um, Unreal 5 goes live um, how close it, it is to like making mega scans properly usable in in games um, yeah I guess I I mean my presumption is because you keep thinking that we're gonna have to go away from like, uh, optimizing optimizing meshes and models and getting rid of vertex counts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think if you want your game to be reasonably large and deep and stuff like that, that that's gonna we're still gonna be retopologizing things and stuff uh, for for a while until I mean well this actually comes back down to uh, I, I suppose this brings us back to the uni uh, the unity purchase in a way because. Mm -hmm. um, this is one of the things that I'm I'm still sort of confused about is the because they say a lot of this is about the metaverse. Now, um, I mean, if you it depends on what your definition of the metaverse is these days. It seems to be such a holistic sort of random sort of phrase that it can fit a lot of things. But yeah. if the concept is it's in the cloud on these hugely powerful computers then a lot of this technology would work with with would be easier to understand if it was running on, on a cloud computer and you were just streaming it because mm. uh, at that point um you've you've got the you've got the power and the consistency um but i i think I think if that's where they're going with this and if they see, because the thing that shocks me about this kind of is that I've always thought of Unity as being like what you'd pick to, to develop a mobile app or maybe VR and stuff like that, because it comes so stripped away and so yeah. fast and slick that um, that that's what you'd use it for. And, and now they're just buying a whole load of stuff that you'd imagine Unreal would buy. It's sort of like, it's, it's sort of clumpy and... Um, I mean... I think Unity for for several years, Unity have been um, trying to sort of like show that Unity can compete at the high end with Unreal, uh, with all of their sort of like internal tech demos and, and things, um, which look great, mm. um, but they are often just um, pre-rendered cinematic. Not pre-rendered, sorry. They are cinematics that that are sort of like done in the engine. But obviously, everything has kind of like been uh, a little bit, a little bit staged in some ways. Um, uh, but I mean, they they put the the source assets uh, out there for people to play with, which is which is great. Uh, and obviously, if you've got a high end machine, then you can like play back that um, uh, that cutscene, which is cool. But um, yeah, the, I think the the difficulty is that Unity. Unlike Unreal, which is firmly targeting the high end um, uh, and very much focused on sort of like first person, third person uh, games uh, about environments and characters, um, Unity have, for historical reasons, they have like a much broader. Uh, demographic unity is an engine that people have gone to, to for, for doing mobile games uh, web games and stuff like that they're attempting to support a far wider spectrum of use cases and i think that that unfortunately is becoming increasingly difficult because they've had they're now they're splitting their render pipeline uh, for example unity have um their standard render pipeline which is really a kind of legacy pipeline that's their their original render pipeline and then they've split it into the universal render pipeline the high definition render pipeline and you can write your own if you want um mm. a really bespoke one um 
but that has created instantly sort of like three separate render pipelines that um that uh, asset creators have to try to make their assets compatible with um and like the universal render pipeline uses a completely different shader language um really? so th this is it it creates sort of like new sort of like compatibility issues and so on because they're trying to support so many different um developers um and i think that 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 is a, a significant problem that unity um are, are struggling to overcome uh and i, I can it's a really difficult one because there is no magic solution to like make uh an engine that works really fast um and efficiently on both low-end hardware and high-end hardware because the optimizations that you make for those two types of hardware are fundamentally different. Hmm. So I think is if there were usually if, if I like met a company or something like that and I was advising them, I would say like pick one thing and do it really, really well and be known to do that thing. But Unity is so big that it, all they could do by doing that is lose market share. <laughs> it is like that's true. <laughs> They've got, um, there's no, yeah, if they were to just be the mobile developers now, they already are the, the primary mobile developers that anyone goes away to make a mobile game. Mm -hmm. it, it's, um, they, they, they've got to expand. And this is interesting that it's coming into this different industry entirely. It's like, because with TV and, I mean, COVID really did a, did a, a, a sort of, put it on steroids because now no one could travel so and you you could um and you're all trying to save the environment so you don't want to spend huge amounts of money on it and and it's yeah and the technology just just come just peered up no it's well, um that may be unity saving grace actually is the fact that mobile technology is improving ridiculously fast um and so you know, even what we consider like low-end technology uh so you know um a, a phone or um or a nintendo switch uh are they you know they both support kind of like um crazy shaders and millions of polygons and you know if we if I went back in time a decade and to, like told my myself then that like that that this would be considered a low end machine, <laughs> I'd be giddy with it, the excitement that uh, of the, the possibilities there. But um, the difficulty is that uh, expectations have also increased, and you know you're, you're now trying to make um, you know the games that we're seeing on on the cutting edge platforms um look in many ways better than offline rendered cg movies yeah. of, of a decade of a decade or two ago um and so oh. people's expectations are so much higher that it's it's really hard to still really hard to deliver something that um, matches public expectations market expectations specifically on that what is now low-end hardware i guess like the definition of low-end hardware is hardware that is hard to get the desired results on basically yeah. well this is I, I suppose this comes back to because what's interesting there is again going back to this sort of everything in the cloud so sort of, sort of like uh, at some point um it's not gonna matter i mean i, I know that like um stadia has been trying to do it for ages and everybody but as mm. soon as the lag and the speed of the internet is, is fast enough it, it's not gonna matter what the hell as long as your your thing has a good internet connection and, and no lag then mm. the the power of the computer just isn't gonna matter it's just gonna be everything's gonna be in the cloud somewhere and we're mm -hmm. not gonna uh, and it, and that's when all of this technology it will be interesting because it'll be a cost thing on the other end at that point because we're looking at studio i don't know if you use 
virtual does it do all the people who work for you use their own machines or do you provide them with a sort of um, uh, if, uh, my team are currently using um, their own machines um, but we do use um, we use things like Google Docs uh, and and Miro which are like cloud documentation um, solutions um, largely because it's convenient and mm -hmm. and simple uh, and yeah like particularly for editing like documents and stuff uh, a few microseconds lag is not really much of an issue um but yeah as you say if you're if you're trying to if you're trying to like um build lighter level remotely then you want you want to know that sort of like as like the the smallest tweaks that you make to like the brightness of a light or sort of the angle of that light um need to be reflected quickly and accurately so that you, you know that like because you want to be looking at the the light itself not looking at the controls to see if it's actually updated or not um so it's a little bit more you know if you're typing a document you can just type the you type your right you type the keys yeah. you just trust that they are going to arrive at the yeah. other end of the internet connection you don't wait after every key press to see if you got the result you were expecting you um, say that if you could i mean your <laughs> presumption is i don't know what the lag is like for you but but i actually find in a lot of cases now when i'm using a virtual machine that the response is quicker especially if you're doing like because it computes the thing so quickly mm. it, it's it's like it depends where where the bottleneck is if the bottleneck is in the lag or if the bottleneck is in the power of the computer uh, i mean That's most cool. people work on very powerful computers but when you're doing like some stuff in Blender and things like that is just infinitely faster. When I, when I, and I accidentally type an, an extra zero in Blender and and it goes away and I'm, I'm, it's, 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 I then know I've either got to crash the project or wait for four hours for it to to subdivide something a million times. <laughs> it's like um, it, it's interesting, but that. Yeah. I mean that that's another that's another interesting thing actually. So like, um, sorry, dragging this back to the uh, Unity acquisition is that the interesting thing about the wetter digital tool set is that all of those tools are built to um, uh, interact uh, with each other um, in the same pipeline. So uh, it's notable that 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 whole tool set includes, uh, for example, project projector which is um a project a production tool for just for, for planning um projects and organizing things it's not actually anything to do with the um uh the the technical uh, side of things it's just logistics um mm -hmm. and having that built into the pipeline so that you can link specific uh scenes or simulations to it and sort of like a presumably attach users to particular simulations across the project uh, and so on. I can see that being extremely um, valuable in a production environment um, rather than what we have in game dev, which tends to be using something like Jira or Trello or something where you can, um, it, it, it is its own thing. Um, you can't link it to a particular Unity scene. It's not integrated into the production tool um, yeah. uh, or, or, or indeed um, Unreal. And, you know, can you imagine if um, Unreal or Unity had um, a bug database built into it uh, and, you know, or you know, a tool for doing your um, uh, scrum boards and you could like, you could link, you know, you could link scenes in the project to a, to a card on your um, Kanban board, or you could make Gantt charts with with like all of the um, project assets, and you could create stub assets where you know that you're going to need something at some point in the future, and you can just create an empty scene saying this represents the the you know this represents the final boss fight. Um, yeah, it's a nice idea. I did not really. It, it's. I think that is seems to me that that is basically what Weta Digital have built for Weta because like that's their business and like the movie industry has been optimizing 
production for a century um mm. uh whereas we have as video games have only been doing it for a few like less than half that time um it's the technology has changed on on massive yeah. though and, and and i think it's similar to it's similar to the game industry in that everyone has their own pipeline everyone has their own like orders there's a, there's a couple of tools that a lot of people use like f truck and mm-hmm. uh, shotgun um but it, it, it tends to be that everyone uses the tool in a completely different way and they have this yeah um it's interesting as well because when you're doing film you work in sort of shots a lot of the time so you have singular sort of shots but when you're working in games you work in environments and uh, there is an, an element of shots and stuff like that but but a, a lot of it tends to be based around levels and the, both of them are are sort of quite a different mindset and mm-hmm. uh it, it would be interesting to, to try and apply that sort of shot logic to to gaming it's, I, yeah actually that's a fair point i guess one of the reasons why the visual effects production pipeline can be that organized is because making linear media is so much more predictable than uh, video games so they know how many shots they're going to have because they, like they, they've they've had they've had this, the script first then it got storyboarded that got broken into shots like they they will have um because the filming tends to be done a lot quicker than the visual effects they've got all of the shots like the like the the filmed plates that they need and uh obviously the, we've all heard of cases where they have had to um uh use for for whatever reason they haven't had the shot that they needed from principal photography and they've had to kind of like um uh do sort of like additional filming with body doubles or pull characters out of one shot and put them into another in order to sort of um frankenstein together the shot that was needed for the story mm-hmm. um uh, so there, that's kind of like salvaging what was basically sort of like something that was overlooked at some stage in the production. It should have been it should have been filmed, or um, it you know, but it but for whatever reason it wasn't. So you get cases like that, but again, those those can be kind of salvaged. Whereas with video games, as you say, we work on levels because it's a big environment that you can interact with. You can't, it's very hard to sort of like carve out one section of that level and work on that separately. Um, if it's part of the level that you can just like walk in and out of from any other part of the level, um, which is why I'm quite interested in Unreal introducing their, um, in five, uh, one of the other features that didn't got, kind of got put in the shade by Nanite and, and Lumen, but their uh, system for creating vast open worlds that um, people can work on uh, in parallel, um, mm. just like Roblox. Um, uh, that I think is is going to make a, a big difference to sort of like production f- uh, flow. But um, but yeah, video games because of the interactivity element, we have to keep on iterating and trying stuff out and testing it until it um it's reliable but it's also fun and also like the the player has to understand it because this is the thing you it's where a film has to communicate a message to the audience so you need to be able to read the screen and understand what you're looking at um for example that was that became a problem in transformers where the robots were so detailed that it was hard to parse which you know it was hard to make out what part of the robot was their face mm. because there was so much detail there. That's a, that's a good example of, 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 of the sort of communication issue in, um, in film. But, for, you know, generally uh, they will cheat outrageously and sort of like um, pump up like the contrast and brightness on characters' faces so that you can always like see their, um, see the actors um, acting even in, adverse lighting situations so somebody's waving a, a lit torch around and so on you won't get realistic torch lighting mm. on their face 
you'll get <laughs> like a token nod to the fact that there's supposed to be a torch over there, but like the rest, but it will otherwise be sort of like boosted to make it readable so that the audience can see the expressions and so on. We have that sort of problem in, in video games, but compounded by the fact that you were trying to teach the player to understand all the moving parts of a system uh, that, that they've got to work together. So it's it's that bit more complicated, which I can I, I think is possibly why we haven't got quite such that level of streamlined production um, planning tools that uh, the Weta Digital have got in their pipeline because we just can't plan things in that much detail that far ahead because there's just so many variables. Totally, yeah. I, I, I think that's probably why Projectable, some elements of it might make its way to the gaming side, but but I, I think it's probably if they do if they do use it, it will probably stay for the for the filmic filmic end of it mm. it's i mean if i was to look down this i mean a lot of these i would group together into the kind of stuff that's going to go through houdini uh mm -hmm. the kind of houdini thing I, some of the facial tech and 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 sort of uh, and the puppetry stuff that that could well make it into um uh into um uh unity and games i think yeah um, yeah, it, it's actually that's a very good point because there's there's two elements to this. It's not just the sort of like the the quality of the end result of these tools, but it's the workflow. So if, for example, if Weta Digital's system for rigging characters um, is significantly easier to use or has like um, certain like automation tools built into it. Um, and those can be basically made available in Unity. So you can just drop a, a model in and just sort of uh, have it auto-rig with some guidance. Or if it's, um, I don't know, uh, I'm not an animator. I don't know what will be most useful to um, uh, animators, but I'm, I've seen some pretty impressive animation tools that um, with the right setup would do some clever stuff like you could like like lift lift a character's heel and like their toes would stay flat on the floor they would like pivot around the ball of the foot lift the heel and and so on and yeah you can do you can do quite complicated things with character rigs um but i imagine that there are an awful lot of things to do with um hands feet faces that are really really oh and mus muscular human musculature and stuff that are really common that you do for every character because like every character whether they're sort of like um thin fat old young they have a skeleton and muscles that that move them around so i think if you're working on a human that's very do doable in most cases is we are all, all of the the automated rigging stuff that i've seen over the years as a problem of it just requires so much it just requires a lot of tweaking because it's mm -hmm. but tweaking is better than doing it from scratch <laughs> so it's yeah. and if yeah. it's it's better but yeah i mean animals tend to be uh even odder because you're basically trying to to generalize but um but yeah i mean I'd, it's one of these things that i'd love to spend like a year just get sort of like getting really deep into and seeing yeah. how it all works and stuff like that but the, the reality is there's just, just too many fun things in the world. <laughs> it's like i do get slightly scared sometimes at the speed of <laughs> that everybody is innovating these days which is never going to keep up <laughs> it is well the Let's spin put that put a positive spin on that as 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 we wrap up then because um, the the glass half full uh, approach to that is that with tools like this from from Weta Digital, um, it may not be too long before we have the sort of tools in Unity or in Unreal, probably both, where you can just um, set up. Um, you can just like 
unleash sort of like a tidal wave on a city and uh, the engine will just handle it and farm things out to the appropriate technologies and it will do stuff mm. it may not be able to do it runtime it may warn you that sort of like this is going to have to be pre-computed um but it will then pre-compute it for you and so on the 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 optimistic lookout for this is that this is going to open up um those powerful tools to people who you know wouldn't otherwise have been able to use oh, them yeah. and we will be able to use um some of these like film uh, tricks in games more easily um with less specialist knowledge mm. oh no definitely that's a, that's a much better point of view it's like a kid, <laughs> in a candy shop it's like a kid in a candy shop there's just too many fun toys <laughs> <Yeah. like> <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah do i mean do you have any final thoughts on on um unity and weta um the uh i think it's good i, I think it's good that, that unreal are going to have a competitor i, I yes you, you need to keep things innovating at speed you need a good competitor and, and they're clearly gone in the game so they're, they're behind, but they're, they're making up, they're making up space. So I think it's a good thing in general. Yeah. Yeah. My takeaway, I think, is that we have uh, a lot to look forward to over the next decade or so. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. OK, thank you for joining me, Ed. Um, uh, if you've enjoyed this, please pop along to gamedev.london, uh, where you can uh, find uh, links to our Discord community and uh, our other podcasts, YouTube channel and so on and so forth. Thanks very much for joining us and we'll see you see you next time.